Hi, this is Joe Shannon. I'm a lawyer, a husband, a father of six kids, and I also uh, host a podcast called Opening Statement with Joe Shannon. Please consider listening to our podcast on YouTube, Spotify, and Apple, and any other folks that host podcasts. Just Google Joe Shannon and podcast and you'll find it. I hope you enjoyed the show. All right. Hey, I'm thrilled to um, welcome Amy Maher to the show. Um, So Amy and I go way back, uh, way back to, gosh, 1985, when we both entered Notre Dame Law School together. And then, remarkably, I graduated, and that's so remarkable for Amy because she's a lot smarter than I am. And so uh, we both graduated in 88, and then she headed um, down to southern part of Illinois. I went to Oregon, ended up in uh, Chicago area. But um, I followed her career, and I thought she'd be a great guest because now she's running uh, to be a circuit court judge in Illinois. So welcome, Amy. Thank you. It's nice to see you, Joe. Yeah, you know, it's uh, uh, such an interesting time right now. We're, we're recording this in, in June of 2020. And so um, interesting time in our careers in that, um, you know, we both had very interesting practice. But, but why don't you um, let uh, the folks know uh, where, where you grew up and, um, you know, where you get your education, that type of stuff, Amy. Okay, well, I grew up in Alton, Illinois, which is in Madison County, down close to St. Louis. Um, I went to uh, Marquette High School, Catholic High School in town, and then I went to Cornell College over in Mount Vernon, Iowa. And Mount Vernon, Iowa, um, small, small town, small school. Uh, they do the one course at a time plan. So you take one class, you go three and a half weeks, and then you have a four, four day break was always fun. Um, and then I went to the University of Notre Dame Law School um, and graduated with you in 1988. Great. And then, um, so tell me about a little about your family uh, growing up. Did you, you guys grew up in Alton, which is, um, so you must be a St. Louis Cardinals fan. Yes, definitely. We're definitely Cardinal fans. <laughs> and um, so uh, you have brothers and sisters? I do. I have one brother and one sister. I'm the oldest of, of the three. And, are you guys all lawyers? Uh, two of us are lawyers. My brother went to Notre Dame, was two years behind us, graduated in 1990. Um, and he stayed in South Bend. He's up there with Barnes and Thornburg now. Um, and then my sister was a paralegal for a while. And then she be, decided it was better to be a stay-at-home mom, uh, homeschooling her seven kids. So seven kids. Yeah, Where is she at? She's in Flora, Illinois, which is a couple hours away. Nice. You get to see them quite a bit? You get to see them quite a bit. We haven't been over there since about February. Um, they live right across the street from my dad. Uh, he moved over there. He and my mom moved over there before she passed away. And so they li- he lives across the street from them. So we've been kind of staying away. My husband and I were both working throughout this, this lockdown period. So we didn't want to take any chances on taking something over there. Um, but yeah, we get to see them pretty regularly in normal times. That's great. And then, um, so kind of walk me through what your career has been like since you got out of Notre Dame. 
Okay. Well, I started uh, my first job out of Notre Dame was I went to Anchorage, Alaska, and I clerked for a, fel a felony trial court judge in Anchorage for a year. Um, and that was uh, quite an experience. Well, hold on, hold on. How did, how did you, that you work that one out? <laughs> well, there was a Supreme Court justice from Anchorage, from Alaska, who would come down. He was a Notre Dame grad. His son was a Notre Dame student. He would come down and do interviews during football season. Um, and he would select a few attorneys to go work for judges in, in Alaska. And I was offered a job with one of the felony trial court judges and it seemed like a really good opportunity that wasn't going to come up again. So I took off and went to Alaska for a year. Have you written a book about that one yet, Amy? Uh, I have not yet. <laughs> you should write that. I, I mean, you know, uh, coming from Alton, it must have been a little bit, was it in Anchorage? It was in Anchorage, yeah. So that's yeah. kind of a, a city life rather than a frontier type thing, isn't it? Yeah, it, really, it, it was wonderful. I mean, I really enjoyed living up there. It's beautiful, um, all, but they have everything you need. Um, it's not a, it's not, you know, it's not too primitive. And it's very well built for the climate. The houses are built for it. The, they clear the roads like crazy. They're really good at that, so. Did you spend a year up there? Mm -hmm. Wow, so you spent the time when it's all dark all the time and then when it's light all the time, right? Yep. Yeah, I got a full cycle, a full year of being in Anchorage. Now, in Anchorage, it never really gets dark 24 hours. It doesn't. We're, it's a little bit for, we're a little bit south in Anchorage. Um, but it would get light out at about 10 in the morning and get dark at about 3 in the afternoon at the, at the height of winter. Wow. So... You did that, and then, so that was in the criminal courts. Mm -hmm. uh, what did you do after that? Then I came back home. I, my year was up. It was a one-year clerkship, and so I came back home. And in October of 1989, I started working at the Madison County State's Attorney's Office. Okay, and so how long were you there? I was there for 23 years. I stayed there until 2012. Wow, only 23, huh? Yeah, just 23. <laughs> <laughs> so when you, in your practice, what did you end up having any sort of specialty or did you just have a general court? Um, I was pretty much a specialist in juvenile law, to be honest. I, I started there. Um, I would move out for a while and then come back. And it finally just made sense to leave me there because I enjoyed doing it. I knew the ins and outs of the juvenile legal system. Um, so I, I kind of just landed, that was kind of my niche and I kind of stayed there for most of my time. And then what did you do in 2012? In 2012, um, I left, took about a year off and uh, my husband had some health issues and we dealt with all of that. And then in 2013, I started working at Catholic Charities. Um, they were starting a legal services program and I was hired to start and manage that program. So we're doing legal services a network of pro bono attorneys to help indigent clients. Wait, very interested in that. Tell me about tell me about how that's been for the last seven years. Well, I did that for about two years, and then I moved into administration. But for the first two years, it was a fascinating um, job because it really was the the program didn't exist, um, and so I got to come in and be the person who started it, set up the set up the rules, set up the the system and put the system in place, recruited the volunteer attorneys, um, did all of that. So it was a really, it was a great 
program. I still supervise the program, but um, in 2016, I moved into the director of operations position with Catholic Charities. So I'm not actively working in the legal services program. Once in a while, I'll handle a case or I'll step in and do something, but it's not my primary focus now. Okay. So, um, so the, and that was in Springfield? Mm -hmm. So yeah, Springfield. did you have to commute up there or were you able to operate from Alton? Uh, no, I commuted most of the time. How far most is that? It's about 70 miles one way. Whoa. <laughs> so, so, so you do that every day? Most days. Now, because it's, we're a big diocese, we cover 28 counties in all of central Illinois. So we don't expect, when we meet with clients, we don't expect clients from Effingham or Quincy or whatever to come to Springfield. So I would go on the road and meet with the clients in their local, local areas um, so that they didn't have to travel. So I spent a lot of time, a lot of time running on the circuit, basically going from office to office, but my primary office and probably three days a week, I was in Springfield. Wow. So then you got into administration after that. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so tell me about that. What did, what'd you do for that? So I'm the director of operations. That's still the job that I hold now. And basically I am the supervisor. We have seven area offices that provide the direct services to the Catholic Charities clients. And I supervise the area directors who run those programs, who run those offices. And then I supervise the legal services program. There's another, there's a new attorney who runs the legal services program and I supervise that program. Um, so tell me, yeah. you know, things like yeah. that. Tell me, tell me what, if some people may not understand what Catholic Charities is. Well, Catholic Charities is the charitable arm of the, of the Catholic Church. We are a, a program of the diocese, but we are a separate entity. Um, we have our own executive director. The bishop is our president of our board. Um, it is, has the final say on any decisions that we make. But it's the program, it's the, it's the arm of the church that runs the food pantries. We have mobile food pantries that go out into the rural areas. Uh, we do um, counseling programs. We do child welfare programs. Um, our programs are designed to fit the communities that they're in. So every office does, some, some things are all in every office, but some things are unique to the area office. One of our offices runs the Meals on Wheels program and has some elder care guardianship type programs in place um, and other offices don't do that. So it's really unique to the, to the area that they serve. So I bet you that your, your, uh, you were kind of challenged during this whole coronavirus COVID thing. <laughs> yeah, I learned a, a ton of, of things during this, this particular event. Um, there were a lot of things coming at us employment-wise. We had to make decisions on the fly about, are we gonna keep all of our people? Did we, have, we had to shut down our resale stores. Um, we do run some resale stores that, that sell things to the public, but also provide free goods to people who can't afford to buy them. So we had to shut those down entirely for, they're, they're basically just opening up now. Um, we had to decide, were we gonna be able to furlough people? Then we had the payment protection plan we had to explore and determine whether that was something we could use. There were grants opportunities coming at us um, and that's a management issue to make sure that you comply with the terms of the grants and mm -hmm. spend the money the way it's supposed to be spent and track the money the way it has to be tracked for each individual program. Um, the people, we had, to, we had a communication um, issue. We had to make sure that we were communicating clearly to our staff 
um, what our what our practices were going to be, what safety measures were in place, what we expected from them, what we would do for them to help keep them safe, um, and to try to make sure that those lines of communication remained open so that people weren't scared, um, didn't feel left out. Um, so we did a lot of, there was a lot of things going on and, and the government would change the rules and then you <laughs> go back and make sure that you were keeping up with them as they, as they kind of shifted things on the fly. So it's been a it's been a challenge, but I I like challenges. That's wonderful. So so to sum it up, then you you you've been a prosecutor for a long time. You started up a, a network of pro bono, so basically free legal services for people that couldn't afford lawyers. And then you've been an administrator for the Catholic uh, arm, you know, the, the arm of the of the church, Catholic charities that basically helps out indigent people, right? Yep. All right. So now it sounds like to me you're gonna enter try to enter into a new venture. Tell me about that. Well yeah. Um there there's it's been in the back of my mind for some time that Madison County could use some some new people on the bench um, and those opportunities don't come up very often but there's there's an opening um, that came up this year and so I have applied for it I'm I ran I'm running for it I say applied I'm running for it I had the uh, primary in March which was unopposed and now I'll be on the ballot in November um, and so it's kind of another something I didn't really anticipate doing five or six years ago but it just seemed like the right time and the, and the county, I think, could benefit from somebody who has the experience that I would bring to the job. Yeah, you know, um, I, so I've been a trial lawyer um, for, gosh, 32 years. And, you know, um, one of the things that, that I've always had a lot of respect for is the people that take a time away from their practices, their lives to be a circuit court judge because it's a hard, hard job. And, um, you know, to call just balls and strikes and not really um, lean one way or the other, that is such a great um, person to have that role. And I can't think of anybody with a, a better background than you. I mean, having gone through all this stuff to understand, the, you know, the, what real people are going through, both you know, going through the, the criminal justice system, and then also the um, you know all the different programs that you know for folks that that need it uh, to be lent a hand. I mean, it sounds to me like you know it's a perfect one for you to set up and and do. Well, thank you. I I hope that it comes to pass. I'm looking forward to taking on that challenge if it if it you know is the voters wish that I do so. Yeah, so um, did you have to go through all sorts of interviews and all that stuff with bar groups and all that kind of thing? Not at this level. I, there, there was a rating. Um, the, they do the bar poll, and I was recommended by the bar poll. I've been rated by the um, Civil Justice League as recommended, by the bar poll as recommended, by uh, Right to Life as qualified. So there are some questionnaires you fill out at the circuit level. They don't go through the interview process um, so much. Yeah. All right. Yeah, because the, um, you know, I know that if you interviewed everybody in our class of 1988, they would all come back 100 to zero in favor of Amy because, you know, the thing is, you know, a lot of us got into the practice of law and, um, 
you know, I got into it and, uh, you know, I've got, um, you know, basically I've been a trial attorney the whole way through and, you know, to, for folks in our class to be public servants, like being a, a state's attorney or to be an administrator of Catholic charities, all that type of stuff. I mean, what an amazing career. And I can't think of anybody better to, to jump into that just because, you know, I, I could see that if there was a, uh, you know, somebody that um, lost a parent and was on their own. I mean, you've, you've seen that situation many times, haven't you? Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. And I've seen kids whose parents were so terribly horrible to them and they still, you know, persevered through some really, really difficult childhoods and turned out very well. So, um, so that's also part of, part of what you do in juvenile court is see those, those cases. Yeah, so tell me about the, the juvenile court system. How, um, so, you know, some people see it just as like a, you know, a punishment system. Tell me what, what um, kind of things you guys were doing um, during your career to maybe turn around a kid that, that you know, got, got in trouble. Maybe he, he wasn't in the right environment and then wasn't raised properly, basically. I mean, the one thing that I'm, that I'm really grateful for is um, that I had two parents that, you know, that I was their biggest investment. I mean, um, all of, you know, I'm one of 10 kids, as you know, Amy. And, and so we all felt like we were super, super rich. Although I think my, my dad uh, crested at about 18 grand a year as a social worker. I never, I mean, I never thought I was just poor, but because I had that my mom and dad constantly in my life and a lot of kids, they don't have that. And, um, but they get in trouble with the law. Tell, tell us some things that, that maybe that, that people don't understand about what you do with kids. So I think, yeah, I, I think the thing about juvenile court is it's really set up where it can be completely individualized to try to deal with the problems that are causing whatever's going on in that family. So if it's abuse or neglect, you know, you look at the, the root causes of that and you try to get to them and try to fix those problems so that the parents can be effective parents and the kids can grow up in that kind of stable, loving environment that you and I grew up in. Um, and then the same with delinquent kids. It really isn't a cookie cutter, one size fits all. You committed this crime, so we're going to give you this punishment and, you know, that kind of thing. It really is to look at the individual kid and try to craft a, a solution to the problem. So some kids just having an encounter with the police, that's going to be enough to stop them from a life of crime. They're not going to want to do that again. The parents react appropriately. Um, and so that, that fixes the problem. And some kids don't have that kind of support system at home. Parents have substance abuse issues or mental health issues. The kids have substance abuse issues or mental health issues. So you try to come up with a solution that will address those particular problems for that particular kid because my goal is for them not to come back and I don't really care about punishing them and I don't really care about you know hurting them or making them feel pain I want them to not do this anymore so what do you do to try to impart that message and for some kids they got to be locked up I mean they really will keep committing crimes until you lock them up but you try to do other things short of that first and try to solve problems. And so that's, I really like that about juvenile court. It's a problem solving court. You try to fix, fix things. And like most 
attorneys, we're fixers. We try to come in and come up with solutions to things. So um, that was a place where you could do it. And you could actually see it working or in some cases not working, but you could, you could actually see the, the results um, as you went on, so. So, you know, you were over 20 years there. Did you see, you know, some, was it just anecdotal of the kids that you were able to help or was it, um, was it mainly, you know, that, um, that once the kids were in this type of system, they weren't ever gonna get out? Um, no, you saw both. I, I would see kids that, that really did, it made a difference. Um, they would come up, I would see them out in the community and they would come up and say, hey, Miss Mayher, I'm doing all right, thank you. Um, I had one young girl who came from a terrifically abusive home, um, just a horrible situation. And she was probably 12 or 13 when we started dealing with her case. She was very mature and responsible and she wanted to be very involved in her case. She wanted to be in court. She wanted to be consulted about what we were doing with her case. Um, and we, we worked with her, she had her own attorney. I worked with her and her attorney. Um, we resolved the case, got her away from the parents who were abusive to her. Um, and years later, she would stop in and visit me at, at the office and let me know how she was doing. Um, and she was, she was a great kid. I mean, she was just a phenomenal kid coming out of everything she had been through. And then you saw the other side of it where I was prosecuting kids of kids I had prosecuted. Oh <laughs> boy. That second and third generation coming through. Um, and so those were not success stories. Um, but I, I will say that most of those parents remembered me and had some, some degree of respect for me and didn't, you know, di didn't come in with a, a chip on their shoulder or a bad attitude about the fact that I was now dealing with their kids. Um, so. Yeah. Great. So, um, tell me, um, Amy, have there been some people along the way that have been, you know, inspirational to you or game changers for you that, that. Uh, even, you know, even in your early life or, you know, I always try and bring up folks that have been, you know, kind of made a difference in your life and with, with people so that maybe people that watch can be that person for other people. Uh, are there some people, I know there's probably been thousands, but are there people that you specifically recognize as being really inspirational people for you in your career? Well, certainly my parents. Um, my mom was the daughter of a, an attorney who was a judge, who was actually a judge in Madison County. And she was determined to raise lawyers. Um, so she set out to, to make us lawyers. Um, when I was a probably early, well, early teens, I was going to be a veterinarian. Um, and that was my goal in life was to be a veterinarian. And you can see how that turned out. Uh, my mom clearly won that, won that argument. <laughs> Although, Amy, Amy, you can <laughs> tell, tell us about where you live and, and yeah. the animals you have there. So I live on 20 acres. My husband and I have 20 acres. We have, um, I have two cats sitting on the couch with me right now. We have a couple of dogs. We have two donkeys. We have four, we have four peacocks and 11 chickens. So. so you got your wish a little bit. I have a little bit. So I, I kept a little bit of that, but yeah, but mom was, mom was going to be a, the mother of attorneys and she succeeded two out of three times. Um, and the third one was a paralegal. So I, I think she could call that a victory as well. I like to tell people I lost my first case. I was going to be a, I was going to be a veterinarian until my right. mom argued with me. Um, and so that was good. And then I would say um, my, my first boss at the state's attorney's office, uh, Senator, he became a state senator. He's now retired. Uh, William Hain uh, hired me, gave me a chance. And he was, he was just a really great attorney. 
um, and a really great public servant. And I think that made an impression on me is that once you have the job, it's not about winning and losing your cases. It's not about winning and losing your elections. It's about doing the job for the people, serving the people that, that you're there to serve and keeping those people you know, at the top of your mind whenever you're making decisions about cases. So um, he, was, he was just a really, really good mentor in being a good prosecutor, not just a winning prosecutor, but a good prosecutor, one who really cared about the whole community and how these cases impacted the community. That's great. And then how about some some cases in your career? I know you, you just told us about that young girl who, um, you know, she turned around her life and you helped her and she's come back. That, that's got to just feel good every time you sit down with her. Are there other stories like that that, that uh, you can tell us about? Um, there were similar cases like that. She was the one that sticks out the most because I kept up a a relationship with her for some period of time, you know, really up until I left the state's attorney's office, I would still see her every couple of years. Um, like I said, there are other ones where you would see people in the community and they will, they recognize you and um, come up, make a point of coming up to tell you how, that they're doing well now. Um, sometimes I would see them at the courthouse and they would come up and say, hey, I'm here, I'm doing great. I'm like, why are you here? <laughs> You're right. <laughs> if you're doing great, maybe, you know, not hanging out at the courthouse would be good. They're always there with a friend. Um, so there were cases like that. If you know, there are thousands, there are thousands of cases that I handled when I was there. Um, and it's hard to, it's hard to single any particular ones out that other than, than the one girl that we're talking about and, and a few other, you know, young men who, um, I remember one young man, his mother was very angry at me because I was prosecuting him and she didn't think I was being fair to him. And I remember him telling Mom, calm down. She's just doing her job. <laughs> yeah, right. How about Catholic Charities? Are there, are there moments that you can remember at Catholic Charities where you feel like, you know, that, hey, this is, this is something that I was meant to do? Yeah, we had, a, there was one woman, she was, she was mentally disabled and she lived in subsidized housing. And the house was, she had an apartment. It was just a wreck. It was bug infested. It was filthy. Was just, it was just a disaster. And she got permission to move out, but the landlord wouldn't give her back her security deposit. And so and he was, I called him and he basically just said, I'm not giving it back because I, I don't want to. Not because she did anything wrong, not because you know, there's anything. He just basically said, I'm not doing it. So I found one of the best real estate attorneys in town and <laughs> put him on the case. And he took the case for this woman, went to court, and basically got the guy to write a check right there in the courtroom because he threatened to to garnish his bank account and you know and get the money back from him forcibly. Um, and so that felt pretty good when the woman called me and her sister called me to thank me for helping them with that case because that was just a guy. And you know he's done that to hundreds probably of disabled people who didn't have somebody to advocate for them. Um, and so hopefully, I'm hoping he learned his lesson. I don't know. I haven't gotten any more calls from people living in his buildings, but um, but that one felt pretty good to, for somebody. You know, for it was a few hundred dollars. No, you know, most attorneys aren't going to go crazy, you know, and go to court and spend time getting a few hundred dollars. But the guy really made everybody mad. So we all kind of banded together and and worked on that case and and got justice for the lady. I really like that. So um, tell tell us, um, Amy. What, what are some good books that you've read or that you're reading? Oh gosh, um, I read I read a lot of stuff. So I read um, 
I'm right now I'm reading The Splendid and the Vile. It's a book about uh, Churchill in World War II. Um, and that's an interesting book. I, love, I like a lot of history um, and a lot of mysteries. And uh, unfortunately, I read a lot of true crime. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I read mostly for fun. I don't read a lot of stuff for, you know, I read legal things, but that's not something I count as reading for fun. Um, so. Right. And um, yeah, I, I, you know, that's one of my favorite things is to, to read a good book. And um, if I can, if I can find a good author, I try and, and stick with, I, I, um, I read a lot, almost everything that uh, uh, Ron Chernow has written, you know, the, the fellow that uh, wrote the book Hamilton that, you know, became the, you know, the big show or whatever, but I really like his books because they, they, it, it's all first party. So it's all based upon letters they wrote or they received or, you know, uh, firsthand accounts. And, you know, the, the thing I like about it is, is that he doesn't write glowing biographies. He writes ones that show the really bad side of people mm -hmm. as well as the good side. And then we kind of, and like all of us, I mean, all of us have, you know, a side we don't want everybody to see, obviously, and, and, and he finds that, but he also finds the great things that they did, too, and so to me, um, I, I like a good book like that, um, yeah. you know, because yeah, I, I like history. My, yeah, I like my villains to have some redeeming qualities, and my, my heroes to have some flaws. I don't like the books where it's 100%, you know, this guy's a shining, knight in shining armor, and that guy's the devil. It's, those aren't fun. Yeah, also, yeah. I've read everything by Dana Stabenow, who writes mystery series set in Alaska. So I've read all of all of those. There's 25 or 26 of, of her books. So, What's her name again? Dana Stabenow. S-T-A-B-E-N-O-W? Yeah. Okay. And then so all of them are in Alaska? Yeah, they're almost all set in Alaska. Have you been back to Alaska? I did. I got to ride. I took my husband back um, in... 1999 no 2009 i have to keep I keep my years straight 2009 so it was 20 years after i had been there um we went we got to go back up for about a 10-day trip how was it it was wonderful yeah i we need to go back i mean I, that's a place that you can never really see enough of you like seafood i like seafood a little bit i'm not a huge seafood fan but yeah. in alaska obviously you know it's pretty fresh so so it's pretty good yeah, it was really good. So, Mississippi River, you know, seafood's not necessarily your first choice. <laughs> <laughs> What's your, um, what are some of your other hobbies or fun things you like to do, Amy? I just, I like to travel. Um, I, you know, obviously I like to work on the farm and spend time with the animals, um, spend time with my nieces and nephews and my family. Um, I've taken up knitting recently. I'm not terribly good at it, but I, I have started knitting. Um, so. I know you're a football fan too, right? I'm a huge football fan. Yes, I'm. I'm definitely a Notre Dame fan. Uh, never miss a game. So, you've been to every game? Oh no, not two. I don't go to every game, but I I watch every game. Yeah, and I try then, to get up. I try to get up once or twice a year, but it yeah, helps, it helps that my brother's still up there, so I have a I have a place to stay. Right, right, and and I know that that you get up there quite a bit. To to I mean, do you think they were going to play this year? I think, I think they'll end up playing. I, I don't know exactly what, how it's going to work out in terms of, you know, people in the stands and 
all of that, but I, I think they're I think they're trying real hard to get some games in. Right, and then what doesn't look like baseball's happening, does it? Yeah, I don't know. It's not sounding good. Although yeah. I guess the play. I saw something the other day where the players basically said, "Look, just order us back." So I don't know. Maybe they've reached a point where they're just gonna, you know, give up on their differences and get back to work. I don't know. Yeah, I I don't know either. I so I was um, uh, I was hoping so. This weekend, I um, I was down in Atlanta, and then um, when I was down there, you know, I was at a conference, and when I got back, there was like, you know, I'm always looking for something to watch, you know, sports-wise, and so they had golf on, and I was so entranced to watch actual competitive sport. I It was – because I'm used to have, seeing baseball on everything, you know, and, mm-hmm. and so I, I think the country just needs it, don't you? I do. I think, yeah, that's something that it brings us together in, you know, in a way and also heighten some, you know, heighten some rivalries, but those are fun as long as you don't take them too seriously. Yeah. I mean, I saw, I guess, thing. <laughs> yeah, they were talking about baseball. They were saying that, that um, perhaps they would have like a central division, which would be like the White Sox, the Cubs. I think the Cardinals would be in that too. I mean, wouldn't that be fun to see all those teams play great. together all the time? Yeah, that would be great. I mean, um, my wife's a Sox fan, and uh, so she'd love to see him play the Cubs more. And then I'm sure that the Cubs-Cardinals thing, you guys love that stuff. Because I think the Cardinals have been on top of that one for a while. <laughs> well, you know. <laughs> it's a pretty good history. <laughs> uh, so how many championships have the Cardinals had in the last 30 years? Oh, gosh, I don't know, in the last 30 years? They've got 11 altogether. Um, 11 yeah wow what's your favorite team your favorite cardinals team oh i don't know probably the mid 80s you know the early to mid 80s and when they were in the series all the time that was that was a lot of fun was that when ozzy was on the team yeah yeah ozzy and willie and all of those guys i love watching ozzy do those flips man (laughs) that was so he was so good too man he was just so much fun to watch yeah, that was a fun team. They they were built to play in that ballpark, and they took full advantage with the speed and the. They weren't going. They weren't swinging for home runs. They were they were going for hits and bases. Yeah, that was that that was a fun group to watch. But hey, listen, I I wanted to thank you so much for you know taking some time away from your schedule. And so, uh, the elections in November, right? It is. But I'm sure there's is you know. Heck, we may be dealing with mail-in ballots for everybody. So when does that all start? Well, I, as I understand it, they've passed a law that says in September they're going to send out applications for ballots. Um, if people don't respond to those, they're going to kind of pro- try to prompt people to respond. Uh, so I don't know the mechanics of it. It's new, so I don't really know exactly how it's all going to work. But I do think a lot of people will be voting by, by mail or absentee ballot. Um, or early voting. So I think the the election election day will really probably start in early October. No, that's wonderful. Just, yeah. Well, you know, one thing I didn't I didn't really discuss with you, um, and I discussed it with a number of our our guests is how um, how your your faith um, 
intertwines with what you do for a living. Um, and if it does, um, can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. I mean, in my case, it's a little bit obvious since I now work for Catholic Charities. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I think, you know, Catholic Charities is the, is the, is the charitable outreach that the church is, is part of the church's integral mission. So we are the, we're the hands and feet. We're the ones who go out and do the things that the church is called upon to do. Um, and it's, I, I, I mean, I couldn't be any happier working in a place like that. The people I work with are wonderful. Everybody's there for the right reason. Um, it really, truly is about helping people who need our help. No judgment, no nothing, you know, negative. It's all about lifting people up and helping people through tough times, um, which is, which like I said, some people say that's separate from the church, but it just, it, they're just, it's just not. It is what the church is meant to be, which is the, which is a healing presence for the rest of our, of our community. And that's what we try to be at Catholic Charities. Yeah, you know, um, I don't think it's a, it's a, um, a real quote, but they said that um, St. Francis, you know, we used to sit around with his friars and, and basically say, listen guys, we're going to town today and we're gonna go evangelize and if necessary, use words. <laughs> So basically, yeah, just to do, just do good things with people, listen to them, uh, listen to, you know, meet them where they're at rather than where you want them to be. And, um, you know, the, the one thing that, that I find um, from, you know, Catholic charity. So I got a great Catholic charity story if you got a moment. Sure. So, yeah, my mom used to volunteer for Catholic charity. So I think that's kind of why I got a soft spot for, uh, for you, uh, Amy, and your, what, you're, what you're doing, because my mom uh, worked for Catholic Charities uh, as a as a um, volunteer, and then they were they went into some home where there was a uh, some abuse going on, and they they basically found a kid that was locked in a uh, um, you know a closet, and um, for three years. Wow. Yeah, and it was just uh, you know, and and so uh, my mom just brought him home. Yeah. And so, um, you know, he was, they thought he was profoundly, uh, you know, mentally, you know, uh, damaged, but he really wasn't. He was just deaf and he was, you know, 95% blind. And so that's my brother. Wow. That was a great story. I mean, so I was number nine and they brought him, and they brought him number 10. And, you know, so Catholic Charities wow. obviously is huge in my family because we, we all learned how to, to do sign language. Mm -hmm. Um, my little brother is a, you know, he runs a, a produce uh, department in Seattle, you know, in a verb of Seattle, uh, Issaquah, um, and is, you know, he lives in a, a condo that my sister Ann bought and rents out to him. And he's in his 50s and he's, he's basically worked his whole life and um, graduated high school. Uh, and so I love Catholic Charities. Yeah, it's a wonderful, it's a wonderful organization. And we don't, it's not about preaching, we don't preach, it's, it's about living in a way that other people would say, hey, I'd like, I'd like to be like that. It's not about telling you about faith, it's about demonstrating it. And so it's just a wonderful place to work, it, it really is. Um, well, we need... It's not just Catholics, so... Yeah, yeah, I, and I found that. So, I mean, the, the one thing that my mom always, you know, the, my mom uh, was, was very... Um, open to everybody because you know the, the one thing 
the word Catholic means universal, and it means that um, that the outreach is to everybody. Everybody's welcome, and so I would say most of the communities that we we were outreach to, uh, as well as St. Vincent de Paul, which I'm um, involved in out here by where we live, is most of the folks really, you know, aren't folks that, that are involved with the Catholic Church at all. They're, they're, they basically are in a situation where they're fellow humans, which is what, that's the kind of group that I'm in, is fellow humans, <laughs> and we just help out everybody. And so um, that's, that's, you know, I don't go by monikers of, what somebody's, you know, political party is, what their skin color is, what their, you know, religion is, all that type of stuff. It's basically, uh, we're fellow human beings and, mm-hmm. and we're all in this together. So why not help each other, huh? Exactly. Just be nice to people. That's really all you, all, all we ask of each other is just be nice to people. Um, and a lot of people would be surprised, probably 50% of the people who work for Catholic Charities in, in our diocese aren't Catholic. There's a lot, we have a lot of employees who aren't Catholic, but they love, they love our mission. They love what we do. And so they are, they are part of our, part of our community and they work with it right alongside of us. And, and it's, you know, it's a wonderful, I said, it's just a truly wonderful place to work. That's great. Yeah. I, I was, um, when I first came to Chicago, um, I was, uh, I didn't have a job. So I was, I was interviewing and I interviewed at this firm called Siegel McCambridge Singer and Mahoney. So, um, uh, Jewish guy, uh, Catholic guy, Jewish guy, Catholic guy. And, um, you know, when they were hiring, they didn't, I don't think they did it on purpose, you know, whatever. They was just basically whoever, you know. Um, so when I got there, um, I found out how, you know, of a much of a melting pot Chicago is. And, you know, all faiths come together and, you know, we're all, you know, um, just trying to help out other people. And, to me, you know, I, I'm so blessed to have folks from every denomination, every race, every, you know, all those types of things you know, as clients, as well as, you know, colleagues and, and that type of thing. So to me, I just wish the whole world was, you know, had that type of approach that we could, you know, just to all get along, you know? Yeah, that would be, that would be run- wonderful if we could reach that. <laughs> well, one day at a time, Amy. So um, right. I'll be, I, I will be, um, uh, rooting from you from up here in the stands up in Chicagoland and I'm hoping that uh, your campaign goes well Thank and then I'll uh, keep us updated and then uh, maybe we'll be uh, talking to you later on about how it's going if you got time. Yeah, that'd be great. I'd love to talk to you again. All right, Amy, thanks so much. Say hi to Roger for me. I will. Say hi to Michelle and the kids. And the donkeys. I And the donkeys. <laughs> I will say hello for them. All Today right. All right, take, take care. See you, Amy. Thank you for listening to the opening statement with Joe Shannon. You can find us on the internet at shannonlawgroup.com or telephone our office at 312-578-9501. Have a terrific day.